So this was one of my father's favorite possessions. It says, 1955 Hamilton Railway Special pocket watch. My dad was the age that my son is now when he bought this watch, which is kind of weird to think about. But one day I was sitting on the front porch with my dad. I had just started pastoring my first church. And my dad said, you know what? Every pastor needs a pocket watch to use in the pulpit. It just looks nice to pull out a pocket watch. So he pulled this pocket watch out and he said, I want you to have this. And I want you to use this in the pulpit. So he gave me this watch. And now it's one of my most treasured possessions. Only you would never know that. How many of you have ever seen this watch before? You've never seen it. I've never used it because I don't have a felt need for the watch that my father gave me. Now, maybe some of you wish I had a felt need. <laughs> you have no idea what's coming. But yeah, I felt need for this watch, but, but I don't. And so I treasure the watch. I love knowing my father gave me this watch, but this watch stays stored away at my house. So I've been thinking about that because uh, as we celebrated Pentecost a few weeks ago and the coming of the Spirit, it, it seems to me that in many ways we view the Spirit of God like I view this pocket watch. We know that the Spirit is this wonderful gift that the Father has given to us, and we know that the Father has given us the gift of the Spirit because He loves us so deeply. But I do wonder if you and I realize how much we truly need the Spirit of God in our lives, to call on the Spirit of God, to depend upon the Spirit of God for power in our lives and guidance. So I hope this morning, as we return once again to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, that you and I will be convinced just how desperately we need to depend upon the Spirit of God for all things. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to turn in the New Testament to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And when you found your place in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. First Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning of verse 17. This is the word of the Lord. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan stopped us. For what is our joy, our hope, our joy, or our crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our, joy, our glory and joy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word, for preserving it for us, speaking truth to us, guiding our lives by your word. And we ask now that your spirit would join your word so that transformation takes place in this place as we come together around your word. Change our hearts, Lord, by your truth, so that we become more and more the people that you have called and created us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, I'm very confident that all of us have moments in our lives, moments of great need, 
maybe even moments of desperation as life happens to us. Unexpected things happen. Sometimes tragic things happen. Things go wrong in our lives. And they quickly show us how not in control we are. And in those moments, we cry out to the Lord. We cry out to the Lord for strength. We cry out to the Lord for for power and for his presence with us. And that is good and that is right that we cry out to the Lord. And it has been the testimony of God's people through the ages that in those moments, the Lord meets them in a special way, in a way they have never experienced before. But I want us to understand that our need goes beyond just those moments of desperation. We should always be dependent on the Lord and his spirit. We aren't always dependent because the thought of perpetual dependence is absolutely counterintuitive to everything that's in us, everything we are taught, everything we seek for our lives. We want to be independent because we live in a culture that values independence so highly. And in a demographic like ours, in a denomination like ours, that independence is very easy for us to achieve. We are overwhelmingly white. We are overwhelmingly upper middle class or higher. And it's so easy for us to believe that we are at our best and that we are at our strongest when we are independent, taking care of ourselves. It's a goal that we have for ourselves. We, we seek to instill that goal in our children. I know my parents, depression generation, tried to instill that in me. And up through my generation, every generation expected to do better than their parents' generation, who expected to do better than their parents' generation. And generally, that's been the case. But that's no longer the hope or the expectation. As of April 2016, just a few weeks ago, millennials who are between the ages of 19 and 35 have now become the largest generation. Raise your hand if you're a millennial. (laughs) Almost everybody in this place. At 75.4 million, millennials have just passed my generation, the baby boomers, as the largest, Generation X, sorry, you're kind of stuck in the middle (laughs) between these two better, I mean bigger (laughs) generations. But anyway, the millennials, there's just growing hopelessness in them. They're underemployed, they're unemployed. Their hope for independence is evaporating. This question was posted on Reddit. Why do millennials feel hopeless that their lives and careers will have any meaning? And here is part of the answer written by a millennial. We simply don't have the hope that other generations had. We can no longer graduate from high school and trip merrily up to the local factory and then secure a steady blue-collar middle-class job for the next 30 years. Graduating college no longer means you're immediately granted an upper-middle-class white-collar job in an office. Wages are lower than they were when our parents were getting jobs at our age. The cost of living is higher. Education is more and more mandatory, but the cost is skyrocketing. 
My no education having aunt and uncle married at 19 and bought a house immediately with their low level, no skill needed jobs. But nowadays, I know people in their 30s with professional degrees who work at the grocery store and live on food stamps because the job market simply isn't opening up. Baby boomers are refusing to retire the way their parents did, meaning that Generation Xers can't move up into high-powered positions and the millennials can't get in on the ground floor. I think things are going to get a little better for the generation after us, simply because the baby boomers will eventually die. But I honestly think that as a collective, my generation is done for. Now, I had to substitute a word there. Uh, we're, we're never going to be able, <laughs> I did, we're never going to be able to catch up to the wild privilege our parents experienced. And by the time there's room for us to try, newer, shinier faces will be there to make us obsolete. Pretty grim, isn't it? And I don't want to debate if that's true or why that's true. But I'll say this. It rings true to me as I've talked to millennials. This seems pretty an apt description of how they feel about their generation. And rightly or wrongly, it doesn't matter. Many of them perceive themselves to be this way. And we all know that perception is reality. So where is the gospel opportunity in this? How can you interact in this vast culture in such a way that you make a difference for Jesus' sake? Well, if a sense of hopelessness drives you and your generation to dependence on the Spirit of God, if you can replace the spirit of pride that usually accompanies independence and success If you can replace that pride with humility, you will be stronger for it. Stronger than those who did not seek it. The church into which you are moving into positions of leadership will be stronger for it. Yours is the biggest generation. And you have an amazing opportunity to leverage the feelings of your generation into conversations about real hope that's found in Jesus Christ. Your lives can line up, truly, your lives can line up with Scripture in ways that perhaps the generations of excess did not. This is what the Lord says, and I quote, My power is made perfect in weakness. End quote. The Lord's power finds its full and perfect consummation. It's it's completeness only in weakness. And so that means apart from our weakness, apart from our dependence on the Lord, none of us of any generation, baby boomers, generation X, millennials, none of us will experience the complete power of the Lord in our lives. And our continued independence will only leave us with atrophied spiritual muscles. So, the Apostle Paul, being human as you and I are human, sharing the same desire that all of us have for independence, seeking to have removed from his life anything that would make him dependent, i.e. that famous thorn in the flesh, the Apostle Paul allows the word of God to change his life. 
if this is the word of the Lord, if the Lord says, my power is made perfect in weakness, then, says the Apostle Paul, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So, the more dependent you and I become on the Lord, the stronger we become. Because the more we are calling out to Him. And the more dependent we are on the Lord, the more connected we will be to the Lord. And will fulfill the command that Jesus gave to His disciples the last night of His life. He said, remain in me, so I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Listen, that is a picture of complete dependence. And that's what the Lord seeks for us and from us. Dependent people feel the need to stay connected to the Lord. And that is a good thing. Independent people wander far off from the Lord, like that sheep wandering off on its own. And that's a bad thing. The Lord wants us to stay near. And so at every turn, the Lord shows us our need for dependence. Think about the grand sweep of Scripture for just a moment. You know, Scripture was written by, and it was deposited with people who were in great need, people who were oppressed, people who were desperate, people who knew their need for the Lord. Exodus 2 reminds us that God's people were enslaved in Egypt, and it says that they cried out for help, and their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. Exodus chapter 3, God calls to Moses, From out of the the burning bush, he says, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to give them a land of their own, a land flowing with milk and honey. These people, because they were weak, because they were oppressed, cried out to the Lord for deliverance, and he delivered them repeatedly. In the book of Judges, as we move forward, this, this is the refrain over and over in that book. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel. Fast forward to King David. He writes in the Psalms over and over, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice. My cry to him reached his ears. Four times. In Psalm 107, the people of Israel remind each other. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from all their distress. The prophet Jonah, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. We could go on and on and on. Those are just representative verses. Because God has preserved for you and for me a written testimony 
of the very good place that calling out to the Lord and depending on the Lord lands us. He has preserved for us in his word a testimony that we cannot deliver ourselves. So even though we don't always feel like this is the place we need to be, while dependence is not the place we want to be, it's vital for us to live in this land of dependence on the Lord. And so what does the Lord do for us? He pictures for you and for me and for his people of all time the blessings that come from being in this place. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's a place we should desire to be because the Lord knows what you and I are up against better than we know ourselves. And if you look in the verses that we've read this morning, you'll see there what we are up against. Look with me, if you will, at verse 18. Paul writes, For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. You see what we're up against? That's what we are up against. You and I have an enemy in our lives, and his name is Satan. And that's why you and I must always be dependent on the Lord. Paul knew the reality of the enemy. Paul knew the power of the enemy in his life. The word translated stopped in this verse, Satan stopped us. Originally referred to breaking up a road, breaking up a road to make it impassable. And so with this word, Paul gives all of us this great visual. The road the Lord sets before us, it's clear. It isn't complicated. The gospel is simple. And Peter states it succinctly in the very first gospel sermon ever preached on the day of Pentecost. Paul says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's that simple, right? It's that simple. Repent, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and receive the gift of the Spirit. God has not made it difficult for anyone to access Him through faith in Christ. God has not made it difficult for us to to daily believe, and to daily repent, and to daily depend on His Spirit. God has not made it difficult for us to share the gospel with others. We need to do, you crew students, that's what you're here to do this summer. It isn't as if God has given us this bitter, vile medicine to swallow. And then said, now go see if you can find anybody else who will swallow this foul-tasting stuff as well. That's not the gospel. The gospel, as it's offered, is beautiful. The gospel is good news, and it's full of promise, and it's full of hope, and help, and life. It's that simple, right? So Satan takes what is so simple, a smooth road, and he goes to work with his sledgehammer, trying to break up the road and make it impassable. This passage does not tell us how Satan prevented Paul from returning to the Thessalonians. But we do know what he did to tear Paul away from them, what he did to break up the road while he was with them. You know what Satan didn't do? He didn't jump out from under 
a bridge onto the road that Paul was traveling on with pitchfork and red suit and horns and say, you may not pass this way. That's not what he did. And as long as you and I retain that, that cartoonish, medieval view of Satan, we won't see our need to depend on the Spirit because that kind of Satan is not a reality in his life. Educated people would never believe in such a thing. But the reality is that Satan is real, and he is at work. And Acts chapter 17 tells us how he did his work among the Thessalonians. We read the story last week. Paul preached there. And Scripture tells us that a great number of people came to faith in Christ. Then, as people were coming to faith in Christ, Acts 17 tells us, the Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Then, as as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. See, this is not red suit, pitchfork, but it's very much the work of Satan, fanning the flame of sin, inciting and enticing to sin. Just one sin, just one. Jealousy. You know, it makes the top 10 list, the 10 commandments. It says, you shall not covet. We always seem to want what rightfully belongs to someone else. We want their achievements. We want their successes. We want their looks. We want their job. We want their relationship. Oh, how happy they look on Facebook. Their life is so perfect. I want it for myself. And then we go about trying to attain what belongs to someone else. When we allow sin to go unchecked in our lives. Well, well, that's what Satan used. That's what he used here to break up the road and to present, prevent the spread of the gospel. The Jews were jealous. Simple enough. Here's Paul preaching. People are responding. People are coming to faith. I don't know. Maybe the pews in the synagogue were empty. Because everybody was going over to Paul's church. And so there was jealousy. So much so that it was intense, it was destructive, and Paul had to escape by night. That is how Satan works. So if you think you're immune, if you think you're immune from the work of the enemy because you don't see a pitchfork in horns and a red suit, you will not be dependent on the Lord. The reality is none of us in this room is immune from the power of sin. And that's what Satan uses to break up the road before us, to break up the road before the gospel. He uses our sin, and he uses the sin of others. So regardless of how he works, that he is at work should cause us to be dependent on the Spirit of God. If we believe we'll defeat Satan on our own, we are deceived. If you and I believe that we are a match for the temptations of Satan... We are deceived. You know, none of us has ever lived in a place like the Garden of Eden, a place of perfect beauty, a a place of perfection. And yet as perfect as Eden was, and though Adam and Eve walked in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day, they walked and they talked with, with God himself, they could not stand against the temptation of Satan. What about you and me? We live in a broken world. Why? 
Should we believe that we have the power to stand against temptation on our own? We can't. And that's why Jesus says, again, in the upper room, last night of his life, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. Listen, if God thought we could make it on our own, he would not have sent the Spirit. If God were trying to slowly wean you and me away from him, away from needing him, if that were his goal, he would not have sent us the Spirit. But those are not the goals that God has for us. It's not good for us to live alone. And it's not good for us to fight alone in our independence. It's not good for us to seek to advance the kingdom of God here on earth on our own. And so God makes provision for us so that we can stand against the one who opposes us. The one who stands against God, the one who stands against the people of God. John Calvin writes this. You never miss with a Calvin quote. You never miss with a Calvin quote. That's supposed to be funny. Here's the quote. It is certain that whatever opposes the work of the Lord proceeds from Satan. Were, would that it were a firmly settled conviction in all pious souls that Satan is continually making every effort to retard or hinder the edification of the church, we should certainly be more intent on resisting him. You and I must not be independent. We'll lose every time. We will not defeat our enemy apart from the power of the Spirit of God within us. We will not advance the kingdom of God here on this earth apart from the power of the Spirit. But when we are humbly dependent on the Spirit of God, mighty things happen, right? And that's our hope. Look in verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, or our crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? That's the good news. It doesn't say if he comes, it says what? When he comes. Here's our hope. The Lord is coming again. And why is he coming again? Because he is a victor. He's a conquering king. He's, he's powerful. Colossians 2.5, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public, public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Our Savior is a mighty, powerful, conquering king, and he gives his power to us. And so here it is. You and I, we must live in the reality that Satan can trouble us. We must live in the reality that he will seek to break up the road before us in our personal lives, break it up the road, in our ministry attempts. And you and I must allow that reality to convince us of our great need for the Lord. All the time. Not just in moments of desperation, but always. We must realize that the Spirit is not just a, a nice gift. A nice gift from a well-intentioned Father who loves us dearly to be stored away.
No, you and I must depend on the Spirit always. There's work to be done. There's work to be done in our own lives. Transformation needs to happen by the power of the Spirit of God. Work needs to be done in our world and in our city. Acts of justice and acts of mercy and love and kindness. It needs to be done through the power of the Spirit. We'll never accomplish it alone. We don't have the power, but the Lord does. So please, let's depend always on the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we give you thanks for your word, for teaching us your truth through it. And Lord, we just simply ask this morning that you would make us dependent people. Where we're independent and while we're independent, because we think we can make it on our own or because we wrongly believe there's no threat to us, Lord, remove those false thoughts and the false hope that we'll be okay. We will not be okay. We need you, not just sometimes, but always. And we must depend on your spirit, not just sometimes, but always for the transformation we need in our own lives and for the work that you have us to do here in this world. So make us dependent people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.